Today's episode is a little bit different than our normal community roundtable shows. In today's episode, we wanted to share a peek behind the curtains, if you will, of the type of content that's being produced for our network collective community members. We hope you enjoyed this episode on imposter syndrome, and we hope you'll consider joining us as a community member soon. Our membership content focuses on the why of networking because, let's face it, efficiently implementing the wrong solutions doesn't help you or your company much at all. There are a number of additional excellent benefits that you can discover for yourself if you go to thenetworkcollective.com slash join. Community is incredibly important to growth, and we would love to have you be part of ours. Helping us bring you today's special edition of Network Collective is Viavi Solutions. Viavi is a leader in the application and network management industry. Viavi focuses on end-user experience and providing products that optimize performance and ultimately reduce the time to resolution across all kinds of scenarios. Thanks to Viavi Solutions for helping us share this member-exclusive episode with you, and we'll be telling you a bit more about their solution later on in the episode. Welcome to Network Collective. Today, we're going to have an open conversation about topics of interest to our members. We're going to start off by talking about imposter syndrome. Are you an imposter? What is imposter syndrome, and how do we cope with this common experience in the technical community? Sit back, grab your cookies because I know Russ would want me to say so. And let's talk about imposter syndrome. All right, let's get started. I am looking at the Wikipedia article for imposter syndrome. Um, and it says it's- I was gonna say, are you, yes. are you citing Wikipedia as a source? <laughs> My professors would not be happy with you. Yeah, well, it can be helpful. And in this case, it says imposter syndrome, also known as imposter phenomenon, imposterism, fraud syndrome. There are all kinds of names for it. It says it's a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> Not Russ. Just no, ever. <laughs> One day, the world is going to wake up and realize I have no clue. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's really funny. I mean, I mean, here we are, three people who are yeah. recording this, who regularly put ourselves out there. We're going to talk about imposter syndrome. And so I think it is a bit interesting because I think if there are people who have learned how to cope, <laughs> right, we've had to because there's no way we could do what we do without constantly facing this idea of, you know, someone identifying yeah. Out there. You know, Russ, I mean, Russ, you're prolific. You, it's it's got to be even harder when you talk about writing a book or something that goes into print. Like people will forget these videos a couple months from now. They won't watch them again. You know what I'm saying? But like a book stays out there forever. Like that's, that's, it's got to be. You always good. worry somebody's going to, somebody's going to find it. And you know, what's even worse is that I think there is not a single one of my books at this point that I would not rewrite. Right. I, well, I'm sure that, that, that alleviates imposter syndrome right there. <laughs> Well, and so here's, here's the thing. So early on in your career, um, I know, especially for me, like the first two years was so much of, I don't want to look like an idiot. I don't want to look like an idiot. Like every day I would go to work and like, I don't, how can I not look like an idiot today? And you think as you, as you see people that are ahead of you in your career, they appear confident and they really, you go to them and they really seem to know what they're doing. And you think that eventually you'll get to a point where you don't have that um, feeling that, oh, people are going to figure out I'm a fraud. But what I have found 
by getting to know people that are further down that path than I am. Like Russ, you know, published author. He's got all these books. He's helped write CCIE questions. And what I've discovered is that it doesn't necessarily that the feeling of being an imposter doesn't necessarily get better. It may actually get worse because oh, more does. people see you, you have more notoriety. People come up to you and go, Oh, I listened to your podcast or I've seen you talk at this conference. And, and so it actually doesn't necessarily get better. So this really is a conversation about coping, yeah. not about getting rid of that feeling of being a fraud. There's not hope. No, seriously. Like, I mean, like I, it sounds really harsh, but it's true. There's really not hope in this. And this is the reason why there actually is, but it's not a path that most people want to take, or at least the people who struggle with this. Yvonne brought up uh, and, and has, has mentioned this, and I'm going to completely steal it. And I wholesale steal it all the time. I talk to lots of people about this when it comes to imposter syndrome. And that is the idea that there, there's a spectrum here and you start off on one side and, and that side is actually called Dunning-Kruger. There's a, there's a, another. You, this is my favorite Wikipedia definition. Can I please oh, read yes. it? Please read the, the official Dunning-Kruger. Okay. The Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias in which people of low ability have illusory superiority and mistakenly assess their cognitive ability as greater than it is. Illusory. That's a great word. Illusory. <laughs> so you think you're awesome, but you're really not. Right. And so imposter syndrome is the opposite of that. You're awesome, but you have no clue that you are. And, <laughs> and, and you're, yeah. It's, and you're afraid that people are going to discover You can actually develop a false humility around it. Right. You can actually be, Oh, look at me. I'm humble. And therefore you get to this point where you're like putting your humility out there as if it's something to be proud of. Yeah, it's the humble brag thing. Yeah, like, humble brag. oh, yeah, you know, I did all this, you know, I did this awesome thing, but it was really nothing. It was know? really nothing, yeah. It did nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think there's a major danger there. And I think it gets worse in many ways because as you put yourself out there, like Jordan said, you have books. And, you know, I go back and read my own stuff now and I'm like, really? Come on. I could have done better than that. And that's, that's 90% of the time. And then, and then I really feel sorry for the people who are in my first Cisco live presentations, as we called it networkers back then. Right. So I think you start off, right. You start off with this idea that I don't know what I don't know. Right. Right. I don't know what I don't know. And so as you learn things, you start gaining confidence because all of a sudden I'm learning things I didn't know before. This is great. Uh, I am just, I'm becoming the king of the mountain. And I know so many things now. Exactly. And so the first couple of years of your career, you start off with that. Like, I don't want to embarrass myself. You get a couple of years in and it's like, hey, like I start to really know, like I can really run this thing that I'm running now because I know I know how to do the things to make the network run or, or whatever it is. I'm obviously putting it within the scope of, you know, the idea of a networker, but it's not unique to networking. Um, but this idea that, you know, all of a sudden I figure out how to do it and I'm, I, I become confident until you don't, right? Until something happens where you don't know what you're doing. And, and I think that really what happens is as we progress along the scale, there's two things that happens. The first thing is, is that you, you start discovering the things that you don't know. Uh, and you discover them because you get put in situations where you are embarrassed because of the fact that you've, <laughs> you're facing something that you don't know the answer to. You have to go for help or you have to go ask somebody. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is that as you gain competence, you start realizing the scope and breadth of the information that's out there. Uh, I, the people who think that networking is small are people who have not been in networking for very long. The people who think that networking will never be mastered by one person are people who've been in networking for quite some time. Yeah, I, I would say there's three specific fears I think that I, that I encounter around imposter syndrome. First is fear of failure. 
You know, you go out, you do something that you think is really, really good. You do a lot of work on it and it fails. And it may be your fault and it may not be, but it's still a failure and it looks bad. And so I think there's a very definite fear of failure. I think the second one is fear of losing control, that I'm going to be standing in front of a crowd and I'm going to have somebody stand up and start beating me up about something I've said or to calm me down or say I'm wrong and I'm going to lose control of the situation and I'm not going to be able to complete what I'm trying to get done. And I think the third one is fear of missing out. You know, like you said, Jordan, man, networking is a big world. And you can learn one piece of it all you want to, but you're always going to be missing out. And so there's always going to be somebody else who's doing something that's really cool that you don't have time to do. And they're so true. <laughs> like, right. The longer you go, right, the more specialized you tend to become. It does, it's not, it's a, it's a generalization, but you become more specialized. So like, you know, Russ, you're like, you're the routing guy, right? Like you understand routing protocols, how they work. There's more to it than that. You have a broad understanding of networking, but you've spent a lot of time specifically in and around routing. But that's there's right. a whole world out there of other things that you don't get to spend any time in because that's just not part of your job function. And you've become so good at the thing that you do that you're no longer asked or wanted to be involved in those things because your specific yeah. vertical knowledge in that one thing means that, you know, to be that good, you have to focus on that. And there's no way to do that and do everything else. It's the right. whole jack of all trades versus specialist argument, but within one discipline here, you know, with, right. with networking. And so, and so, right. So then what you end up in is you end up with somebody standing there in front of you talking about containers or about something. And you're like, man, I'm clueless. Like, yeah. how did I get this far in my career? And I don't know anything about what they're saying. Right. Like software defined storage. Like what even is that? I mean, I know what it is. I should, you know, but still it is, it's, it's, it's where you get to where people start talking in depth because they're technically specialists in another area. And then you're sitting there going, I'm just a complete imposter. I don't know half of what they know. Right. And so, yeah, it's really bad. Yeah, it's, it was, and it's interesting. I mean, so I think that, you know, I, I said that there's no hope uh, a few minutes ago. And so when I say that, like there's a specific person there's no hope for, and that no hope is someone who is, has aspirations to be better. So I hope that everyone who's listening to this is someone who aspires to be better. And yeah. so long as you aspire to be better, you're going to be working and people who aspire to be better are always looking at that next level up, right? You, you don't look at the people who are doing what you're doing and saying, Oh yeah, I want to be like them. Cause you're already like them. And you know you're like them. You're, you're comfortable with that. You're looking at that next tier up. The next tier up in your mind is going to be more specialized in something that you care about. And then you're going to, you're going to aspire and work towards doing what they're doing. And eventually they're going to be your peer, right? And when they're your peer, all of a sudden you're, you're there and you're working on that. Well, now if you're someone who aspires to do better, you're going to continue to aspire to, to look at that next rung up by your definition. And there's not any clear definition to every person that's different. But the idea is you're going to keep moving up. And as you keep moving up, you're going to start realizing there's always someone better, right? And, and, and you're going to become more specialized. And now we talk about the other end of this, and that is the fact that there's more to lose. That's right. As, as you become respected. So, you know, uh, whether you have written books or do a podcast or write a blog or get out there and put it out there, and you start getting recognition for being competent in your field, someone identifying your incompetence is now a bigger risk. You've built something. You've built something where people respect you and value your skills. So maybe it's your job. You know, I'm in my job. I'm a, I have this, you know, fancy title of CCIE. I have this fancy title of technical architect. And it comes with like all of these, you know, lofty opinions about what that should be. And the reality is I'm just a sum of my experiences. 
And, so, and, and the real fear is somebody's going to walk through the door who knows about some new technology yeah. that you've never heard of. And you're going to be sitting there going, well, why are they paying me? Like, I'm supposed to be the expert. Why I'm am I not the one who knows this stuff? Yeah, why don't I know this? Right, and then and there's more riding on the line. And the the more and the more detailed, the more specific you do, the higher it goes up. There's more that's riding on the line. The less you want to be discovered as a fraud, so it becomes a bigger fear. Yeah, that's right. And there's a there's a dangerous trap that I see people fall into here, and that is um, they they want to hit the brakes on technology, and and sometimes you people can get to a point where they hamstring themselves and their organizations because they get caught in the, this is the thing that I know. And so this is what we have to do because it's the thing that I know. Um, And, and you have to push yourself sometimes and you have to reorient your understanding of your value. Um, and, and your value isn't necessarily that I know how to do this thing, but it is, I know how to figure out something. I know how to solve a problem or I know how to bring value into a situation that isn't necessarily based on what I, what I know today. It's based on what I can know in the future. This is a lot of why we focus on what we focus on here at Network Collective, specifically, specifically in the membership side. It's not about the how, it's about the why. Yep. Right. And, and, and this is this is the big reason is because you will never be incompetent if you understand the why. If you understand the how that skill is good for five years. No, right. that's how long it's two and a half years and it has in value. And then two and a half years later, it's completely useless. Right. It's completely like an exponential curve down. Right. So, but if your competence (laughs) is based on the fact that I can do this thing, which when we talk about the early side of the Dunning-Kruger, it's part of that scale, right? It's because I can do the things. I understand how the things work specifically for the things that I'm in, but you don't understand the why it's easy to get caught in that trap of confidence where it doesn't necessarily belong, right? It's overconfidence, illusory confidence, if you will, <laughs> to, yeah, to bring right. that fancy work back. Yeah. But as you, as, you, as you start learning about the, the why, there's a level of confidence in the fact that I can figure new things out. In fact, like, I mean, this is like the proper way to answer a question in an interview if you don't know, right? Like if somebody doesn't know, well, I don't know that, but I can certainly figure it out. Like, like I'm not at all concerned about, you know, learning X, right. it is like Y or, and I've or, done Y before. Yeah. Or even better. I'll tell you what impresses me in an interview. If you say, you ask them something and they say, well, why would you want to do that? Can you explain to me on a whiteboard why that matters? And then maybe I can work through what the answer might happen to be. Oh, that would be a good answer too. I mean, that that's like, to me, <laughs> that would be really impressive because then they're actually thinking, well, there must be a reason this interview question is here, but I don't know what it is. No. So, you know, what is the reasoning, right? Yeah, so I, 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 yeah, I mean, people seem to think that it's particularly bad when you do presentations. I think, I think a lot of the fears we have in presentations are the same as the problem with imposter syndrome and doing books and doing other things is that we're just afraid of getting called out. We're afraid of making a mistake. We're afraid of looking like a, a failure. Um, and we're afraid somebody else is going to know something. It's fear of missing out, like I said, you know, and I think those are all real things. So now, you know, you talk about the why part of it. I think that's really crucial. And, and Yvonne, what you said about organization, I think the impact on organizations is so huge compared to what we think about. I mean, this is such a huge problem in organizations. I have been in interviews where somebody have said to me, 
well, I helped design this product. And the reason I designed it that way is because I don't know anything else. And honestly, now looking back for the last five years, I shouldn't have designed it that way. And you're like, wow, you know, that's, that's and, a pretty dark admission. And, and so here's, here's the thing that, that I find is that we have to come to a place where we are okay in our own skin. And what that means is that we acknowledge that, uh, let me back up. So I really, really struggled with this up until a point in my career. Um, and I had a colleague, a coworker, who was very analytical and, and, and we were close enough that I could be like, I would voice some of my fears, this whole imposter thing. And what this colleague would say is he would come to me and objectively point out the things that I had done and done well. So we gave you this project and you did it. And there was all this value that came out of it. And I'd be like, yeah, that really happened. And then, okay, we had this other project that we gave it to you and you did it. And this is all the value that came out of it. I'd be like, yeah, that really happened. And, and they were objective things, <laughs> right? It wasn't, it wasn't emotional. It wasn't subjective. And he, as he reflected these things back to me, I could be like, okay, yeah, that was a thing. And I did those things. And, and so on one hand, it wasn't like, yeah, I'm so awesome, but it was like, yeah, those things happened and they really had value. And then I could take that and say, okay, well, there's, there's no reason to believe that that won't continue to happen in the future. But at the same time, you've got to understand that there are things you don't know. And that's okay. I think the, the problem is when we feel like, oh, there are all these things I don't know, and that's not okay. And yep. when you come to realize that everybody has those things that they don't know, and their value is in being able to figure those out and put those pieces together, then you can sort of sit and be comfortable with the fact that you don't know. Because really, when this you get in trouble when you're trying to pretend, really pretend that you know things that you don't. Yeah, I think part of this goes back to worldview too. I mean, I'm just going to say this because to me, part of this goes back to realizing my value as a person is not tied to my knowledge or my skills necessarily. My economic value might be tied to those things, but my value as a person, it's okay if I don't know something. It's okay if I can't do everything. I'm still a valuable person. And I think somehow you've got to get to that point in your own life where you realize whether it comes out of, you know, your religion or whatever, it doesn't matter where it comes from. You've got to get to the point where you believe you're, you're a good, per, you're an okay person. Maybe not good is not really the right term necessarily, because that depends on your worldview. You, you have value. But you have value. That's right. You have yeah. intrinsic value being who you are. And I think that our culture in technology in particular, part of because of what you said, Jordan, the half-life of skills is five years, right? And I say this to people outside technology and they're like, how do you survive in a world where the value of a skill I learned today immediately has in value over the two and a half year period after I've learned it? And in five years, it's completely useless. It's because you've got to be comfortable in your own skin and say, you know what? I have value as a person. It's not that skill that gives me value. It's me as a person that has that value. And I, I think you got to get there somehow. And, and I don't know how to tell you to do it all the time. But that's <laughs> There's another thing that really helps put perspective to this. And that is that, you know, look in yourself the last time you judge somebody for not knowing something. And the reality is, is it's probably going to be pretty long 
far away where you looked at somebody and said, wow, they're really not good at what they do because they don't know this thing. And like, by the way, like that's, that's, that's not a thought that I have about people yeah. ever. Like, it's just like I interact with people and yes, there are certain levels of knowledge um, but there's always an understanding that people don't know everything. And like, that's how I feel. And I know because I've had conversations with Ivana Ross, that's how they feel. They welcome people in. And that's how just about everybody I've ever talked to this topic about has felt. So think about that. These are the people you're worried about judging you for not knowing something. And yet all of them don't actually judge you for it. It's a self-imposed fear that really isn't all that rational because there isn't an expectation that you know everything. There yeah. just isn't. No one has judging people that way. You should stop. Agreed. <laughs> we would like to take this opportunity to share with you a bit more about Viavi Solutions. As we stated at the top of this episode, Viavi is an industry leader in the application and network management space. I've had the opportunity to see what they've been working on, and they're taking what I believe to be a very useful approach to providing engineers and administrators truly actionable data, rather than just a conglomeration of stats and PKI data that has nothing to help them correlate that information. I mean, it's no secret that network troubleshooting is broken. Enterprise Management Associates states that 40% of performance problems are first de detected by end users and customers. Forrester says that 50% or more of end user issues are just never reported. These stats are staggering. I think just about everyone agrees that network troubleshooting isn't going away, but it has to get more effective as applications, networks, and systems continue to grow in complexity. Viavi is addressing this issue in their observer platform, which provides user-centric performance monitoring through synthetic testing from the end user's perspective. This data is then analyzed, correlated, and presented to you as an end user experience score that often heads off issues before they're even noticeable to anyone on your network. This process of boiling down many data points to an actionable and measurable end user experience pinpoints the source of issues for accurate resolution across networks, servers, clients, and applications, pointing you to the exact source of issues that are happening on your network. To learn more, visit www.viavisolutions.com slash network collective. Consider a new approach to network monitoring with end-user experience scoring and synthetic testing that heads off problems before they start. Sign up for a free trial of the proactive monitoring service Observer Live to start solving issues today. Viavi is also doing something really great for our listeners. If you go to the page I just mentioned, that was www.viavisolutions.com slash network collective, you can also enter to win one of four Network Collective community memberships. If you've been on the fence about joining Network Collective, this is a great opportunity for you to get a chance to get all that valuable content at no cost to yourself. Thanks again to Viavi Solutions for sponsoring today's episode. Now let's get back to talking about imposter syndrome. Well, and and I was trying to think now that Jordan says that, when was the last time I had a really negative reaction to somebody in the technical sphere? And it wasn't because they didn't know something, but because they came across as being over the top in their presentation of themselves. Yeah. Like they were, you know, oh, well, I know this and I've done that. And I'm a, I'm a, you know, Cisco certified genius in this area. So I can do this other thing. Cause it's about the same. And, and Cisco it, certified it, genius. I didn't know that existed. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to obfuscate a little bit, you know? We need to create a certification now that she said it. I was going to say, I need that one. Yes, we need a network, <laughs> network collective certified genius. 
Uh, yeah. So and, sorry, and, I didn't mean to distract you there. <laughs> no, but but my whole point is this person was trying to go over and above and trying to prove themselves. And 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 they were doing that with words and not actions. Yeah. Um, and and I think we get ourselves more in trouble. And and to me, that's evidence of insecurity, not security. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's imposter. Um, that's the outworking of an imposter syndrome right there. Right. Right. Well, that, that's, one, that's one mechanism, mechanism of coping. Not one that I think any of us would recommend. Right. It's just to fake it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And try to try to prove to everybody how awesome you are and that you actually do know everything because your people are going to see right through it. And I agree. That's one of those things that's out there. The other thing I think that, it, that can be, you know, a bit hard with imposter syndrome where I've had a negative reaction is when someone gives advice that you know is bad. So they're acting the role of expert, even though they aren't necessarily. Um, and the, the more they're recognized as an expert, when they start venturing into things that they don't really know about, the more dangerous that becomes. Right. Yeah. And the more and the more hurtful that becomes because people listen to them and respect their opinion. Yep. And so, like, I, there are times there. So, I mean, you know, to be fair, um, but I don't I know that I think less of them. You know what I'm saying? And I'm definitely not looking at them, judging them for not knowing. It's more about being vocal about something that they don't know about. You know what I'm saying? Like pushing out and like acting the role of the expert again, faking it. Um, acting the role of the expert when you're not the expert. Yeah. Uh, and and therein lies the question, how do I know when I know what I'm talking about when I don't? Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Or how do you know when somebody else knows when they're talking about and they don't? Here's my thing. And, and I, maybe I'm wrong in this. There is nothing absolute about the things that I talk about. This is my opinion. These are the things that I know. This is what my cumulative experience tells me. And so my, my intuitive reaction to a, system, uh, a situation or the way I design something is my best approximation of the way that it should be. It is completely possible there is a better option out there. And if you always allow for that, you never are presenting yourself as the leading expert. That's right. Right. If you present it as this is the way I believe it should be. But I am open to someone coming along and educating me on this thing and telling me that there's a better way to do it. And if you do that, you'll never be the person who is presenting themselves as an expert in something with the definitive voice. Um, people love definitive voices because it's just easy to follow, right? Like we want to look for the person who's the, oh, the EIGRP metric should be this, <laughs> you know, like that's just the way it should work. It's not always that way. And so people who present themselves that way run the risk of, of, of coming. I mean, if you are truly an expert, then the, you can do that. But like the, for me, I just, I avoid it altogether. Like I never want to be the one who's the authoritative voice in anything. I just want to be, this is my experience and this is what I believe it should be. Right. Always leaving room for someone else more intelligent than me to come along and provide additional and guidance. Go beyond that and seek out people who are more intelligent. Absolutely. Right. And I think that actually is one of the ways that you can help back off or not. Um, this is going to sound contra because um, part of the problem with the with the imposter syndrome is that I'm among people who are smarter than I am in different ways. So I feel like I'm completely. Um, overwhelmed by that person who's smarter than I am in some way or knows something that I don't know. Um, but I think getting among people who are smarter than you on a regular basis actually acclimates you to that situation. And it you humbles you <laughs> <laughs> as it should, right? Like, I don't know. Again, I, I say that there's no hope as, as someone who aspires to be better, but someone who aspires to be, be better surrounds themselves with people who are better than themselves. Yeah. And so you're always yeah. humble. Now, it, this is like this, I think, I think this is part of the driver and also part of the solution. Part of the driver is you're always around people who are smarter than yourself. 
But the, the part of the solution is the fact that you remain humble and never present yourself as the expert, right? Yeah. So like, right. it, does, it does help you avoid that thing. Um, you know, I also think this idea of expertise, like this is a big component of all of this. Um, there's no expectation from anyone. Or let me, let me rephrase this. You should never define yourself as an expert. You should never define your, let other people make those definitions and those determinations, right? If someone else wants to call me an expert in something, that's their opinion. And I'm happy for that. I'm never going to claim to be the expert in anything. You're just never going to do it because the moment that I think I'm the expert in something is the moment that I stop worrying about getting better about it. And the, the less room I leave for other people to educate me in it. And so I just, I, I'm never, I never want to be the one who defines myself as the expert in the field. Well, and this, this is part of the nature of knowledge, right? We talked about how the more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. Right. And if you're not in that position, then you're not really learning. That's my opinion. No. Well, and I think, I think I have a tendency to want to get, if I'm doing a design, I want to get it perfect. And I want to be able, and first of all, it's never going to be, but I think there have been times when I look back on something and be like, oh, I could have done that better. And Russell's talking about this with his writing, right? But I mean, uh, you could do that better now, but maybe at the time that was the best you could do. Mm-hmm. And and when you do something, it's come to the table with that and say, this is how I see it. This is how I think it would be best. But then open yourself up to take feedback and then evaluate that feedback, not as, Oh, they've called my baby ugly, but how can I learn from this and be better? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the devices um, that I've used, especially like, you know, when you're going to, when I, when I go to speak, if I, especially if I'm going to speak at a big venue that's new to me um, is I try to s- to eliminate the self-focus that I have toward myself. In other words, I'm going to go speak at this conference and there are going to be, whether it's 20 people or 50 people or a hundred people or a thousand people in the audience and, and to try and think about what is it that I want them to take away. And for me, this is something I'm giving to them and how do I bring value to them? And when you focus on the other person and take the focus off yourself, it's not so much about, do I look good? Or do I look like I know what I'm doing? Or do me, 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 me. And you're thinking about how you're going to bring value to somebody else. And what I have found is that the times in my career when I have been most other focused, have actually been the times that people view me most positively right? Because I wasn't concerned about myself. I was concerned about them. And, and when you shift the focus that way, a lot of this worry about imposter syndrome and what do they think of me, it just fade. It doesn't go away, but it fades into the background. And so there's this act of, of giving and selflessness that, that beats back the imposter syndrome, it doesn't, it, like I said, it never goes away and it's always going to rear its head at times. But the more you can shift your focus away from yourself and how do I either put the right solution for the business or how do I bring value to the people reading my book or my blog or my podcast or how do I care about them and what they need and take away the self-focus, 
it changes the whole dynamic and it helps you not be so wrapped up in you, which is really what imposter syndrome is. Uh, it, it, to some degree, I agree with that. I, I think that, yeah, I mean, it, it is that because ultimately you're worried about what people think about you, but that, I mean, right. that's, a, that's a natural human condition. Like it's yep. never going to go away. You're good people right. about what others think of them. Uh, otherwise we wouldn't care about how we looked or we wouldn't care about, you know, there's so many things that we do that are based off of other people's opinion about us. And that's just, that's part of the human condition. Um, but I agree the, the, one of the coping mechanisms is, you know, like, how do you, how do you take in what you know and present it to somebody and give value? Because if I'm doing that, I can't be possibly be wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I'm bringing something to the table, that's valuable to somebody else. Uh, you can't possibly be wrong. I also think that there's just, um, uh, yeah, I mean, humility it just comes back to this. This is uh, this idea of humility, the understanding that I am not the expert. Well, but I think if you, as long as you're defining humility, to, from my perspective, when I think of humil- humility, I think the problem is I go back to this problem of humble bragging, right? Which is look at me. That's um, not really look humility. how humble I am, right? <laughs> it's crazy, right? So there's this great book called The Power of Self Forgetfulness, which is all about don't think about yourself as good, don't think about yourself as bad, just don't think about yourself you yeah you are you, <laughs> right. you are what you are i said it earlier we are a culmination of our experiences and, and and so some people have had different experiences than you they're going to have a different perspective a different level of knowledge because of those experiences your past you cannot change your past it is what it is you can you can look at your future and aspire to be something different and try to shape the experiences you're going to have as you move forward but what i know is who i am it's, 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 it's my experiences with my entire trail of work history, my interpersonal history. It's all those things that I can't change that. I can, I can fake it, which is where we get into the trouble. I can try to fake it. I can not worry about what other people think about it, which is again, you know, a good mechanism for coping with it. Um, or I can just, just continue to try to do my best in those situations and continue to continue to provide value. Like Yvonne said, like a lot of this, like the problem with imposter syndrome is that it stops you from doing things. So, that's the real challenge. Like uh, a lot of times people won't accept the speaking gig or they won't do the podcast or they won't do the blog or they won't go to the event or they won't talk to that person because they're afraid of looking like a fraud. And that fear, uh, while a completely valid fear based off of all the things that we've talked about, like in the sense of when I say valid, like, you know, it's valid in that you aren't the only one feeling it. It's not some like artificial thing. It's there. It's something that people fight with. It's when you allow that to dominate your actions is when it becomes detrimental. So the reality is, is pick the person who you think is the smartest in whatever it is that you care about. And I guarantee you that person is worried about being discovered to be a fraud. The difference between you and them is that they chose to go out and do it anyway. I say this a lot, and it, you know, there's more to it than this, but an expert is the person who, is, who has the knowledge and actually is willing to share it. It's willing to speak up. Experts are the people who are just willing to take that knowledge and put it out there. If you want to be seen in that light, not as expert, but just as as valuable, if you want to be seen as someone who's doing something, show up, do it, but do it with humility so that you don't put yourself in a position where someone would like have those judgments about you. Like, you know, you're presenting information is completely wrong, but write that blog post knowing full well that you could be wrong. It's okay. Don't be afraid to fail. And that's a real big issue. Don't. I mean, that's the whole nature of it, right? That's the idea. It's okay. I mean, that's, that's the Facebook ethos, right? The, the fail faster or whatever is, is in the same vein is that we'd rather, we're going to see forward progress by trying 
rather than living in fear of the things that we think might happen. Right. Now, there is a danger with that answer, and that is very endemic in our culture in technology, in that somehow we believe that, um, and, and we'll go, I mean, this is just going back to what we said earlier in many ways, is we kind of seem to believe that if we just try hard enough, if we just organize our time better, if we just do the right thing, we're just going to be better. We're just going to be able to accomplish everything we want to accomplish and know everything. And that makes us feel guilty for not being able to do that, right? So we end up in this like constant circle of, but if I could just learn to manage my time that way, I could, I could actually learn everything I need to know about dockers and routing and everything else. And sorry, but you're not. You need to learn to live within your limits as well. So the humility comes out of this, not just from realizing I don't know everything. It's also knowing I can't know everything. I just can't. It's not possible. And this now we're getting into, you know, life philosophy, but everything is trade-offs. And we talk about this in networking, but it's also this way in learning. It's also this way in your career path. It's the way in everything. And so, you know, there's a guy out there with eight CCIEs. Unbelievable respect for somebody who's gone through that process. But I also know the sacrifice he had to make to get there, right? I, and I and and to me, that's probably not worth it because of the the amount of effort that went to go doing that thing required him to sacrifice other things, other things that I think are important. And we talk about this when we talk about work life balance, right? Um, you know, you 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 you're going to make decisions about what is important to you, and that those decisions are going to be different for absolutely everybody. But when you make those decisions, it's going to put limits on what you can do. It's not just a matter of, like you said, being more organized. You're making prioritized decisions. What matters to you? If you want to be the preeminent expert in something, you're going to have to make sacrifices in a lot of other things to be the preeminent expert in something. It's just the way that it is. You're just going to have to cut other things out. There's no way you can organize your way your life to be the preeminent expert in like 27 different things. <laughs> There's a limit to that. I think that's what you're saying, Russ, right? Well, you can be an expert in 27 different kinds of basket weaving, perhaps. Yeah, but, I guess so. But, <laughs> but. Well, and I have a couple thoughts. One is a lot of times things that are obvious to us aren't obvious to other people. And, and, and which is why we don't often understand our value because we will say something and I've had this happen several times in our, even our member Slack. Some people are like, I listened to the podcast and Yvonne said, and I'm like, Oh, did I say that? Yeah, I, I guess I did. I, and I don't realize it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and I said that first to say, Russ said something to me once that, that really helped me. And he probably doesn't even realize it. But we were talking and he's like, wait a minute. And he was talking about what makes a good engineer. Um, and he's like, you don't understand. I was at Cisco when networks were being invented and designed. And I was intact when there were all these problems to solve. So I had exposure to all kinds of things that most people don't have. And the fact that you don't have that exposure is not your fault. And it's not necessarily a weakness. And it does not make you lesser. It just means your experiences are different. So I think sometimes we look up to people who... Yes, they're gifted and yes, they've worked hard and yes, they've done great things, but they also were in a special spot circumstantially that skyrocketed them in ways that other people don't have access to. That's okay. That, you know, that's just the way the cookie crumbles and, and you shouldn't place undue value on people 
um, because they found themselves in great circumstances. You can learn from them and you can value them and you can look up to them, but that doesn't necessarily make you lesser. So, so, so Yvonne, I think that's absolutely true. And I think that people don't realize that they think, oh, you know, Russ wrote 11 books. All right. I wrote the second book for Pearson, Cisco Press, for Cisco Press. It was actually much easier to get in as an author in those days than it is now. It's just reality, you know? So sometimes you're in the right place at the right time. A lot of the software patents I've worked on, right place, right time. You know, maybe there's a lot of knowledge and work behind it, but a lot of it's still right place, right time. And I think we overvalue, we look at somebody's resume and we go, oh my, they did all this stuff. Well, maybe they did. And maybe there's a lot of work behind it. But also remember that sometimes you're just in the right place at the right time. And there's, there's also perspective here when we talk about these things. So, so yeah, Russ was in the right place at the right time when it came to, you know, a lot of the networking questions. But, you know, Yvonne spent a lot of time working in, you know, healthcare IT. And I'm sure Yvonne would run circles around Russ an actual execution of networks and healthcare yep. environments, because there's a whole lot of experience there that comes with it. And it's hard to quantify that. It's hard to look at it and say, well, why, why would, I mean, a network is a network, right? But there are just all kinds of these little nuances that you learn by, by living and experiencing those things where, you know, Russ's deep experience in, in, you know, the details of networking happened because of the experiences where he was at, at a vendor during a time when a lot was being invented and created and troubleshot and, you know, like all those things were happening, but you know, you as an individual who spent 10 years working in some enterprise somewhere in some specific vertical, you're going to run circles around anyone else who's going to work in that, who had, doesn't have that experience. So your expertise may not be something that is as flashy and may not get invited to conferences to speak about those specific things, or maybe the conferences are much smaller because it's a much smaller niche, but it's, there's value still immense value to employers and to other people who do what you do in that expertise. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think all these things go into imposter syndrome, right? The belief that someone else's knowledge is more important than mine. That makes them a better person, a different person, whatever the case might be. The fear of failure, the fear of I'm going to stand in front of somebody and make a mistake. And, you know, when I was in, uh, when I was in choir in high school, I was in choir. I was why, actually, why, why I was, do we have a bumper that we've recorded if you sing it? No, 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 no. Oh, I on. was actually a voice major in college, so let's not go there. Hold on. I am learning new <laughs> things on the show live. <laughs> so, so anyway. I knew he was a music major. I didn't I don't guess I realized it was voice. I thought it yeah. was like piano. Nice. I did piano, voice, and saxophone were my three. But anyway, because at the college I went to, you had to major minor and you had to have a concentration in a third. In a Speaking third. of imposter syndrome, here yeah, we go no, again. No. Daily, daily. So, so what I was going to say is one of the things that one of my voice professors taught me was that when you're standing in front of a crowd and you're singing or whatever it is, part of a choir, if you make a mistake, you're the only person who has access to the music at that point in time. So you need to stop thinking about the mistake and start thinking about how to recover and move forward and don't focus on the mistake. And so I think part of it is, you know, it's fear of failure and fear of missing out and all these things we're talking about. And a lot of it just comes down to, if I'm going to try to solve this problem, not that there's really a solution, it's a lot about my reaction 
to how these things happen. My reaction to my own failures, my reaction to dealing with other people who are smarter than I am. And I do it all the time. You know, people look at me, and go, oh, how can that be? Oh, come to the ITF sometime. Let's have a discussion with, with Tony P on mathematics. Okay. Now, you know, everybody gets imposter syndrome around Aaliyah and, and Tony P on mathematics. And you know what? There are people that they will tell you are better than them at math. So what do you do with that? Right. I mean, there's it's the way it is. Somebody smarter. And that is a yeah. good thing. <laughs> there's always somebody smarter. And that's a good thing. If you can keep that in your mind, that is a good thing. There's always yeah. somebody Always somebody get smarter. Yeah. So I'm just saying, you know, if you're going to deal with this to me, realize you're going to make mistakes, realize you're a limited human being. You can only do so much anyway. And then realize that those limits play into those limits. It's okay. It's okay to have limits and it's okay to deal with those. And it's okay to let somebody else have the stage and to let them, you know, do something you don't know how to do. And, and then be around other smart people. Just, just, hang out with other smart people because it makes a huge difference in the way you deal with this. That's a nice summary. I think, I think if I were to take a, uh, like a, a key point, that's something that I'd love someone to walk away with. And I think it's, it's actually Russ's point in there is that your value is not based off your knowledge. Your value is based off your perspective and your experience. That's right. So it may not be expert level in something. You may be getting started, but your value and your contrib is, is in your contribution, what you can give from your experience to whatever it is that you're doing. And so if you keep that in mind and keep the idea that, you know, I, yes, there are people who are always smarter than me, but they're also that person that I think is really smart or someone smarter than them too. Uh, I'm just bringing what I know. I'm going to do the best that I can in this particular situation. You know, I'm going to avoid the pitfalls that come along with, with a lot of the imposter syndrome. Yvonne, do you have a takeaway, something specific, or do you think we summed it up? No, I think that's a great summary. And I think um, the only other word I would add to that that we've mentioned a lot is is humility and, and try to focus on yourself less and on outcomes and adding value and you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so we all, we You'll all, be we, fine. we, the other summary is we all don't know what we're doing. We're all, figuring, <laughs> no. we're all figuring it out. And so whoever your expert is, they don't know what they're doing is what they're doing, what they're doing either. I mean, like it just, that's just the reality. We're all figuring it out. Uh, we're all on a journey to becoming better and that's a good thing. And so long as we keep that in mind, then I think, uh, I think it's all good. Uh, I think that's a good place to, to wrap it up here today. Um, so this is like, a, like Yvonne said at the top, this is a start. We're going to start doing, uh, uh, we're going to call it a series, but it's not going to be like congealed like the other ones are design communication. These are just going to be conversations about things that people are talking about in our industry. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this one on imposter syndrome. We have a whole list of, uh, of other topics that we want to hit as well. Uh, we're looking forward to producing those. Uh, but until then, uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. 